Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. This is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is going to be episode number 64, Manic Times with Jeffrey Eaton, part two. Jeff is the singer, the lyricist for the hardcore punk band Modern Life is War. And it's amazing having him on a second time. Uh, This is a real long episode, so I'm going to try to keep this intro kind of short, even though there's a lot on my mind. Um... You know, Modern Life is War just put out two new songs this past Friday. They're called Tribulation Work Songs Volume 1. So you could go put their name into Bandcamp or go to modernlifeiswar.com or deathwish.com to access that music and to purchase it in the various formats that it's put out in. And I recommend you do so. The songs are awesome. Um, really hit me at a moment when I could have used some, some positivity. Uh, it sounds really strange to be upset about the passing of someone that I don't know. Um, and we talked about Bourdain quite a lot in this episode, but I just want to say that uh, the, this episode came about because the two songs were released at a time that I was feeling really weird and upset and depressed that you know Anthony Bourdain is gone. And so I reached out to Jeff just to, to kind of say all that. And then we, we recorded this for you today. Um, I don't think it's any secret that Anthony Bourdain is someone who greatly influenced me. Some of these episodes are modeled after like kind of his format. Uh, he, he's someone that made me think I could, you know, go to Vietnam and, and, and love it and be safe and have great experiences. And the world is not the scary place that some people tell you that it is. Um, I, I, I think his impact too was, he really impacted a lot of people in a lot of cultures. He he was a platform. He was, uh, you know, a beacon of hope for some people. He did their cultures justice when they needed someone to do it justice. I was just having a conversation with my friend yesterday who is a Cambodian-American, and she was saying, well, the first time that he covered Cambodia, it was on a Cook's tour. Um, you know, that was the book and, and the show that accompanied it, or maybe the book, you know, you, you got it. But, um, and he, yeah, he didn't quite do us justice. He was on a border town and, you know, he said there wasn't anything to eat but a noodle packet. And so he, he kind of knew that I didn't do this culture justice. And he went back and, you know, gave a better representation of a country and a culture and a people and, you know, did something that they could be proud of and, and showed aspects of Cambodian culture that were not just from the Cambodian genocide and the Khmer Rouge and, I think he did that masterfully. If I could even do a fraction of what he does, um, I would feel successful. And I think that he, he's left a void and he's left a vacuum of, you know, who's going to carry that torch and kind of do that. And I think we all can. If, if, if we're going to honor this guy's life who we respected and adored and appreciated, um, like let's let's do what he was doing, you know. Uh, I feel like this podcast, in a weird way, is my own little attempt at throwing some light against all the darkness that's out in the world right now. You know, I I'm on having these incredible conversations that uh, sometimes I'm gushing over my guests, and and uh, you've got two people having a respectful conversation, even if they don't agree on the same topics, and they're sometimes quite literally breaking bread and they're interested in each other. 
Um, and, you know, even if someone listens and they're not into the topic or the guest that day, at least they'll hear that. They'll, you know, they'll hear people being civil and talking to each other like humans and, and being interested in each other. Um, you know, kind of a dark intro here, and that's this sort of sets the tone for what this whole conversation was. Um, but I was, you know, this is this is where I'm at today. This was a kind of a weird. I felt kind of weird all weekend because of um, because of his passing. Um, the the quality on the the audio wasn't the greatest. It actually turned out okay. Um, but if you hear kind of like a like a, almost like a record scratching at a couple parts, our audio had cut out. So I had to kind of cut, or uh, Brian the Wizard had to kind of cut and and piece up a couple times when when Jeff was talking and piece up the the, the gaps that were there when the video cut out. Uh, so next time, I promise you, when when we do this one again, we'll do it in person. Um, but yeah, still, uh, you can hear everything. It sounds good. Um, okay, if you are somebody who has the means to support this podcast in any way, there are some costs that go into it, like the production I was just talking about, um, equipment, travels to places to bring you content. So if you're somebody that has the means to do so, I have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. Um, if you can't, Hey, thank you. Anyway, trust me. I'm, it's amazing how to get to do this and, and have people listen. And, um, I'm really just really grateful for it. So, okay. This is manic times with Jeffrey Eaton. And I forgot to mention that you're going to hear those two songs in this episode. So here is one of them now. Boy!
All right, so last time I was really, really prepared for when we talked. I had like pages of notes. And I'm just going kind to of, kind of wing this one, if that's okay. Yeah, that, no, that's totally fine. I, uh, I actually kind of scanned through our last conversation just a few hours ago uh, just to jog my memory a little bit on what we talked about. I probably should have done that too. <laughs> well, I, I kind of know what we talked about. If you need a refresher, well, let's um, let's maybe start with this. Um, so, Friday, you guys put out some new music that I want to get to in a little bit. Um, but I think I messaged you Friday night to chat real quick. Um, it's weird. So, you know, the whole world knows that Anthony Bourdain passed away, or you know. Uh, committed suicide and yeah. I'm not like a celebrity guy. Um, I think like the last one that I think impacted people that I know the most were like when, when, when Prince and uh, David Bowie both died last year. Um, but, mm -hmm. but this felt a lot bigger than um, pop culture. Uh, you know, I know people from cultures who were directly impacted in a positive way by the work that Anthony Bourdain did. Um, so I was feeling like, and still I'm feeling like really weird about it, um, and weird about my feelings about it. Um, but I messaged you to say that despite that, uh, it was really good to, to, to hear some new tunes that came out on Friday. Um, and you had mentioned that you were also a fan of Tony. So maybe first, if, if I could get your thoughts on, uh, Anthony Bourdain and, and the work he did and the kind of guy he was. Yeah, I woke up on that Friday morning, um, sort of, of course, anticipating the fact that we were going to be releasing that song and um, that, you know, our new record was kind of like made and ready for people to purchase and we hadn't announced anything about it yet. So it's going to be kind of an exciting day. Um, you know, I had to go to work, but I was kind of like, um, I didn't sleep that well the night before because I was just probably a little bit excited and a little bit anxious about what we were going to announce. And then I went to um, the Revolver page, which is like where our video for our new song premiered. And our video was right on the front page and right next to it, it was, you know, Anthony Bourdain found dead. And I was just like totally shocked by that. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of my feelings on him were probably similar to yours. You know, he just seemed like seemed like such a down to earth guy that was doing um, doing some really good, solid work <laughs> in a lot of different regards. Um, someone who was kind of making the world seem like a a little bit of a smaller place, but. Uh, a place that's maybe even more fascinating than you had imagined it to be and going to a lot of places that hadn't been uh, very well documented. And he was doing it in a way that was very, uh, um, I don't know, for as much as you can be when you're a celebrity and someone who has a TV show, he was doing it in a way that seemed to be pretty grounded and down to earth. And that, um, I don't know, that's just important, I think, for a lot of people. And a lot of people identified with him. 
And a lot of people felt like he was a friend because you'd spend time watching his show and he was just such a cool dude that you felt like, Hey, I could have a beer with this guy mm-hmm. and we could chew the shit and it would be great. And I could learn something. And, and he took such an interest in the lives of the people that he was surrounded by that you could tell that he wasn't a self-absorbed um, celebrity that he kind of understood the, um, the plight of working class people and the, and, and just what it's like to lead like a really normal life in obscurity because he had done it for so many years before he came into the spotlight. Yeah, you, you have a song that um, plays on the poem Beasts Bounding Through Time, which is kind of like an honor uh, or like a tribute to some of the like cultural and artistic heroes that um, you held in common with the author who, who you know, Charles Bukowski, who wrote it. Uh, and one of those is Hunter S. Thompson, who... Anthony Bourdain was also a big fan of and did some kind of like tribute stuff where he he kind of recreated that scene when he's driving down the highway and then, you know, they're they're tripping on acid. Um, but for someone like, for Hunter S. Thompson, it's like, okay, yeah, you could see kind of where that road was going to end. Like that guy burned through life so brightly that shooting himself was, wasn't really quite a surprise. Um, but for someone like Anthony Bourdain, it, he seemed like somebody who could look at life a little more soberly, uh, maybe literally or, or maybe just in like the, in the sense of that, uh, you know, clarity of mind meaning. Um, so it, it almost feels like an end, like this wasn't the end. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this wasn't the end that any of us kind of would have anticipated for him. Yeah. I mean, did you leave a suicide note? So far, the only thing that I've read is that um, he was hanged and that there was no sign of struggle and that they, they were saying, you know, it looked impulsive. I don't know how they, how they, you know, assess that. Um, but no, there, there was so far like no direct indication as to why. I don't enjoy conspiracies for conspiracy's sake, but there, as I've been thinking about this, you know, I, I keep coming back to the fact that it doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I am not really trying to put forth a conspiracy necessarily. I just, I don't know. There's so many aspects of it that seem off. Um, And I think a lot of that just being kind of who he was and what he was about um, and the work that he was still very much actively doing, um, just his like involvement in jujitsu, you know, he seemed to like really love his daughter and be very involved in her life. And there's a lot of things about it that make me go, you know, this doesn't make sense for this Mm -hmm. guy to check out like that. Um, And I almost think that he would be the type of person who would be forthright about if he was having psychological struggle on that level right. that maybe we, we would hear about it, you know, and he would write about it. I, I, I'm just a little bit, um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to put forth a conspiracy, but I, it, it seems very odd. I, I don't understand exactly. Are you familiar with the book or maybe at least like the phrase that it's become the, the ugly American? Um, yeah, um, I guess I'm familiar with the phrase. I don't know that I know what you're referring to. Okay. Um, 
Well, so, I mean, I guess for, for people who are listening, then it, it, if, if I'm summarizing this correctly, I read it a while ago, but essentially it looks at, um, you know, Western intervention into countries from a, a political and a militaristic sense. And it shows that if you don't understand the culture that you're going into um, and the history and the practices of the people, you're never, you're never going to win. It's kind of a situation with like the, the U.S. and the Middle East you get rid of Saddam Hussein and like all the, the vacuum creates all these, these other groups. Right. Um, right. And so it's, what it's saying is like to learn about a place, to be open to a place, to, to, to allow the people to teach you about them. And that's something that he, he did quite well. And, and for me has been, you know, the model for how to do this. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of Burmese who want, you know, a white boy telling their story but he was able to be like a white American male and go into a place and let the people tell their story and, and sort of be an advocate and a platform for that. Um, and so like in, in, sure. in, in my teeny, 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 tiny way, like that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Um, so like he, you know, he was one of the good ones and you know, it, it, it sucks to not have that anymore. Yeah. I, I think the other thing about it that I, maybe wouldn't have been able to articulate up front. But after it happened, you know, maybe a day later, I, I kind of realized it is that, and, and I, I'm sure that on some level, maybe you can relate to this, is that, you know, I, I have a lot of different goals for my life. And I think one of the things that I fixate on is attaining a lifestyle that is, you know, kind of anchored around doing creative work um, and that involves a lot of travel and that is maybe in such a way that isn't like a financial like stress constantly. And he was certainly someone who had attained that lifestyle in spades where, you know, he was doing his time was devoted to doing things that he was specifically talented at, um, that were creative. Um, obviously his travel was, you know, very, very extensive. And obviously he was a very successful guy, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, money and recognition, I guess. And, you know, if he did kill himself, it's just one of those, major reminders and sobering reality hits you that uh, depression, if that was indeed the case, it's not situational at all. Mm. Like it has, you know, it, it has something to do with your life and your lifestyle and who you surround yourself with and how much money you do or don't have. And it, it does maybe have something to do with your occupation and your social standing. But I think that, it's such a private thing and I definitely suffer from depression and it's been kind of like a rough, I don't know, eight months for me. And I fixate on achieving a certain success or a certain lifestyle a lot as like a way to cope with it. And this was like a big, you know, reality check on, Hey, like, the way you feel is the way you feel and the particular situations in your life, they can change it a little bit, but big picture wise, the way you feel is the way you feel. And that is, 
to me, that's a tough thing to deal with. I know it's true. It's just a tough reality to face. I don't like, I don't enjoy it. Do you have an idea of what a fulfilled life is to you? If you're like 80 years old, sitting on a porch somewhere, like tattoos are no longer legible. You're an old man. Um, and you're looking back, is there something to do with maintaining that lifestyle until that point or certain amount of art that you put out? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's something I think about a lot, I guess, or I maybe struggle with a little bit. I think having a, a body of work that I could be proud of is part of it. And something that comes with that is productivity or, um, you know, being a prolific artist and that's challenging, I think. And also you always have to face the fact that being prolific or being productive in itself is never necessarily the answer to making something that is significant in any way. Um, you know what I mean? Like you could be a person who records 300 albums and if, there's not a moment or an album or a song that people connected with and that like really sort of put its imprint upon your little place and time, then, you know, that body of work, well, you know, then it was, I guess, more just for you. Um, and maybe that's what matters is your own experience with creating. I, I don't know. It's, it's something I, I think I'm a little bit hung up on, or I don't quite know what to think about. Like, what, what do I need to be doing now so that I can have a satisfied feeling someday? Because I certainly don't now. Um, and again, uh, a suicide of someone you really admire and who has a lifestyle that maybe you envy a little bit is a big reality check on, on that question. But I, I don't know the answer to your question. I have no idea um, what would make me look back and say, well, that was a life well lived. It's something that I, I would like to know the answer to or that I'm struggling to try to figure out. Um, if, if any of this also, I should maybe just say this to you. If any of this is like, it gets too personal, don't feel bad about being like, eh, let's, let's move on. Um, but I, I see, that scares me a little bit. Uh, I'm really happy with, uh, um, I appreciate your honesty. Um, since we last talked, I have put in my resignation at my, at my job. You know, it was like, kind of like a career position, right? Is an, an assistant principal in a school. I've been doing that for four years. I've been in the school for seven. Uh, it sounds like, you know, sort of the end of the line in terms of work for some people. Like you ride that out for 20 years, you make good money and um, you live that version of happiness. And, you know, I'm getting rid of my apartment, the job and everything and, and I'm going and I'm traveling uh, sort of indefinitely. Like mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a one-way ticket. And I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to sort of see what happens. Um, but after I talked to you, I think it was after I talked to you, I was fortunate enough that Scott Vogel came on here. Um, and he had said, like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something to that effect of what you just said. Like, yeah, I'm sort of still chasing that. Like, I've achieved the, the thing I thought it was. Like, I put out the cool record. I toured the world. But I still haven't, like, sort of scratched that itch yet or, or you know, extinguish that flame and something, <laughs> something like that definitely scares me because I'm like what if I do all this and I travel the world for eight months and then I'm like huh that didn't do it yeah well 
I, I, I listened to your um, individual show um, where you, you talked about, you know, your plan and kind of what you're, what you're going to be up to. Oh, cool. So I, I do have a little bit of context for that. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. I mean, without, you know, without being negative or discouraging, I would say, and, and, you know, maybe there's a way to spin it positively, but if you're the type of person that is willing to do what you're about to do, this journey sort of that you're about to embark on, if you're willing to chuck in your apartment and a career and, you know, time in your, uh, where you consider home time with loved ones and sort of to go in search of this like intangible thing. Um, I can tell you, you're going to come back and the itch is not going to be scratched. Oh boy. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that has to be a negative thing, but I think if you're, and, and I'm really, I'm, you know, I'm speaking to myself in a lot of ways here because I am so guilty of telling myself, okay, if you get this series of records done and you publish this book and you, uh, (laughs) you know, then you're going to be able to uh, sit in a chair and like be calm and be happy with your, your accomplishments and your productivity and the person you've become and take a deep breath and relax and really like enjoy life. Uh, in a simplistic way that maybe you never have. And I, I, I'm trying to get away from thinking about it like that because I don't think it's true. I think if, I think it's your nature sort of, or, you know, maybe, maybe it's some things you've learned or some things you've been exposed to, but something about your nature is driving you away from your home to go do something. And I think that's, I think that uh, it can be a great thing. I just don't think that you should look at it in a way that it's going to satisfy something in you because I think that um, I think you're always going to feel some something of that inside you. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not true. Maybe, maybe you'll have that satisfied feeling and go, all right, I've done it. And now I'm going to get back to teaching and, and, um, I'm going to happily sort of hang around my neighborhood for the rest of my life. Right. That would surprise me if that was the case, you know, wouldn't it to you? Wouldn't that surprise you if you, you felt like that was an end? Yeah, I guess I hadn't quite thought of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess so. I, I guess, you know, I never really considered myself a creative person until I started doing this. Um, it's also, it, it, it's been real weird. Like it, it is completely transformed my life like it's a tiny tiny podcast um and the the, what i'm putting out is a small fraction of the things that it's opened up to me uh you know you know just last night i'm hanging out with a friend who's cambodian american we were going to record and she introduces me to this other cambodian american who opened up three shops um in bushwick and um like meeting all these like fun, creative, uh, really successful people. And, you know, it, it's, it's a big deal for me to talk to you. I was, the first time we did this, I was really nervous. Um, and, and to, and even for someone like Scott Vogel to be talking to me about his life and things like that, like it's, 
it's quite strange. I feel like I'm kind of looking at someone else's life. So maybe even, maybe I do need to just be a little bit more yeah. appreciative of the things that are already going pretty good because of doing this. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and another, you know, another thing I would say to just maybe keep in mind with that is that, I mean, both times we've talked, you've, you've referred to your, your work on this show as being very, you know, small. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I just think it's important to remember that numbers don't have anything to do with significance. Mm. It's like, okay, well then by that logic, then like the biggest bands in the world are the most important. Right. Exactly. Or the highest rated television is the best that's out there. And, and we know that that's, not only is that probably not true, it, there is a definite tipping point where it's like, Hey, to get to a certain level of success, it's almost like it has to become a little bit more fluffy and commercial. And, uh, I don't know, disingenuous almost to like create that like mass. Yeah. There's, um, there's a know, formula. So I, I think what you're doing is it's significant to you and therefore it's significant. And mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, I think, yeah, I think what you're doing is, is significant. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't downplay it. Um, and I, and I think part of downplaying what you do or something you work on is just, it's almost a defense mechanism for yourself emotionally. And cause I, I, I do it too, where I'm like, Oh, it's just like, it's just a little band or we're just, I'm just this, you know, little person. And that's true. But, um, there's a balance to be struck there between, being humble and realizing that you're not a celebrity or you're not maybe like a powerful person in some terms, but in another, um, in another way you are a powerful person and the things you do can be significant regardless of the sheer numbers that they affect. Mm. So it's, um, and once again, you know, come, I don't want to bring everything back to the fact that Anthony Bourdain is dead, but, again, you know, wow, what a, what a guy, what a champion for the sort of causes that are near and dear to you and me. And so it's just, uh, yeah, so a lot of things to consider right now and seeing things on social media in the 48 hours that have followed have just been kind of wild. Mm -hmm. I have seen so many people, um, and some of it I appreciate and some of it I don't, but a lot of people talking about suicide, depression, anxiety, success, um, you know, like sort of people like facing their mortality in this very real way, in this very public way. And that is something that our culture is just embracing, like in very recent times. We're mm. not our parents were not sitting around having the discussions in public arenas that we are right now. Oh, hang on one second. I think I'm losing you. They're just not, or they were not at that time. Hang on one second, Jeff. Sorry. I lost you for a second. I'm just going to mark down that time. Yes. No, you're good. I was going to put on a little more light so I'm not like a dark, shadowy figure. Okay, cool.
I mean, maybe the last point that I'll make about him is that um, there's a lot of like artistic parallels between what he did and, and what you do. And it, I don't know if you'll agree, but um, again, like he, he drew on influences and incorporated those influences into the show. Um, like, I don't know if you just saw that Hong Kong episode, but it, it was an absolute masterpiece. And you, you're, you know, playing a type of music that I don't know if it's fair to say that like historically isn't always the deepest. Um, and you're, you're, you're bringing in elements from, from films you love and, and books you've read and poems. I mean, dude, you, you wrote Stagger Lee is a folk song like that, that that's a folk song with, you know, punk hardcore lyrics. Uh, I think that's pretty incredible. Um, so you, you're sort of, in that sense, doing the Lord's work, right? Like you're doing, you're doing something quite similar to what he was doing. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that I've always, you know, I've binge watched his shows as much as a lot of people have, I think. And I, I think there's stuff out there that I haven't seen, like probably some of the newer things I haven't seen. Um, but I, I've always felt like, I would get along with the guy. I was like, yeah, this is like my type of person. Mm. And how, how cool is that? Um, yeah. One of my friends hit me up and said that, you know, this is really weird, but like you always reminded me of him and then seeing your new, you know, song come out on this day. It was like a really gave me like a really weird feeling. And, um, yeah. And it, it certainly put an interesting spin on the day for me as well. Yeah, last time you mentioned, um, you know, being really into Patti Smith, and I think she's maybe like 10 years older than him, but he kind of, to me, represents maybe like one of the very last people from that old school New York City, um, like the kind of guy you know it when you see it, but it's hard to describe. And it, it looked like they just wrapped up doing a show um, I think Blondie was on it, like all his, like the old New York folks who were, you know, maybe just with us for a little bit longer until that era of New York is dead and gone. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of tragic in that sense as well. And this is depressing. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, we're off to a, uh, a great start. <laughs> No, I, but I don't, I don't think, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's, I, I was hoping that, you know, we would talk about it a little bit because it's, it's what, it, it's obviously on everyone's mind. I mean, I, I've seen very, obviously you don't see the people who don't talk about it in terms of the internet, but I, I think a lot of people are thinking about it and talking about it and wondering about it. And, um, and hell, I think if nothing else, it's, I don't want to say it's good, but like I've felt for a long time, like, let's talk about it. Like, let's talk about what we're here to do. Let's talk about what scares us about death. Let's talk about how to live a life that feels like it's worth it. How to, um, you know, just the big questions I think are important to face and to think about. I don't think that we should let them um, 
control our every moment and kind of be like locked in an existential crisis all the time. But I, I do think that we should think about it. And this death, for whatever reason, I think has really made people talk about uh, some of the big questions. And in that way, it's another good thing that he's done for us. You know, like you, um, you know, you see someone who's living a miserable dead end job, you know, kind of bitter experience in life. And then they die. It's kind of like, well, yeah, that person, you know, like, yep, they died. But then a guy like this dies, who seemed like he was very, very in tune with what it means to be alive and very in tune with what it, it takes to be a part of this world in a significant way. And so it, it affects you more because you think that that person really had some of the answers that we all seek. And so, I don't know. It's, it's nice to, it's nice to hear people talking about those things. It's almost comforting to me. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, you know, seeking to, live the type of a lifestyle that you want to live would would I would assume you mean is like on your terms uh what does that look like to you um a lot of it to me has to do with i mean really to be blunt about it it's a lot of it comes down to making a living and making a living in a way that you're using your, well, I'll say me, using my specific talents to make a living. So not, not doing something because like I need to make money. And so I'm doing this random thing because I need to make money and, you know, pay the rent and like have health insurance or whatever, you know, the reasons are, I mean, that's basically it, right? Having, money to pay the rent and to eat and to have health insurance in case you break your arm because in America you can't um, have an accident without health insurance because it could ruin your entire life. Um, and so to me, it's about making a living um, and it's about making a living doing things you're uniquely talented at. And as a sort of caveat to that, not having to work like a fucking dog to make that amount of money so you can live like somewhat comfortably, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a lot to ask for and it's, it's a lot to strive for. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying I deserve it, but I am at the point where I can sort of openly admit like, that's what I want. I want to live um, in a way that I make my living doing things I'm uniquely talented at. Um, and I want to be able to make a living somewhat comfortably, you know, playing in a band and playing, you know, uh, 250 shows in a year <laughs> and being able to pay your rent is not to me exactly like the answer. Right. And that's not to diminish anyone's effort out there. I just, um, I don't know. I, I feel like. I think I've always been a little bit hung up on like everyone doing all these things that they don't give a shit about to make a living. 
And then how much of our time is wrapped up in that? Like we're all, it's hard to, it's hard to talk about without sounding sort of whiny or pretentious or like I'm complaining about something that everyone has to deal with. Uh, and, and I think some of that is my upbringing or my guilt of like a working class upbringing. Right. But what, what are all these things we're spending so much time to like produce and to sell and how fucking important are they in the end in terms of like the big questions in our lives and feeling uh, satisfied or feeling uh, like we belong to something or feeling like we have some sort of like security in our lives. Uh, it, it definitely seems like our priorities are a little bit fucked up. And while I can't change society as a whole or the, the culture of our country as a whole, I, I guess I'm sort of trying to save my own life. In, in that sense where I'm like, I don't, I don't want to live. Like, I don't want to do something that I don't feel passionate about or that I'm not an integral part of for 40 plus hours a week for the next 30 years. Like, I don't want to fucking do that. Um, but it's a, it's a jungle out there and it's fucking difficult. And I'm also not like someone who wants to, be destitute and like begging for a place to stay or begging for the food that goes on my, like I want to be independent and I have that um, American value in me where I'm like, I must stand on my own two feet and be independent. And, and I think independence is maybe part of the big problem. Everyone's trying to be so fucking independent and for what, to what end? Man, what you're saying is, ex- first of all, exactly what's been going through my head with the, with, with the leaving. Um, I, I had that same sort of guilt where it was like, you know, my dad growing up, he, he loaded trucks at night. Like he, he had some really unglamorous jobs that he did to bust his ass to make sure like the kids were fed and we had like the basics that we needed. And here I am complaining about the fact that I have a job that like, hovers around six figures, right? Like sounds prestigious to people. Like what, what kind of asshole am I <laughs> that I'm whining about this? But, but, but just like yeah. you said on the flip, on the flip side of that, like I don't see sunlight. Like I don't see sunlight ever. I, you know, I get to, to, to the building at 6.30 in my role, I've got to be the first one. I'm leaving after five. You know, I, I work... Saturdays and again I'm no I'm no victim here but yeah like the, why I, I'm not feeding kids uh, I don't have a mortgage I don't have a car I don't have a TV um, and so it's like what am I doing this for and exactly like you said like if I can if I can spend my time making money and being independently successful while doing something that I absolutely love and I'm creating and I'm, I feel like I'm bettering something. Well, that, that's the dream, man. <laughs> that's it right there. That's my version of success. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think that, I think ultimately that guilt, I think that perspective is okay to have somewhere in you. I think you need to have the perspective of what your father did for a living or, you know, what 
sort of people who are in a situation of like, you know, they have four kids. All right, well, this is what I do. And I have four kids and I don't have time to even like talk about or think about this shit that you're talking about and thinking about. <laughs> That's, we, we can never put a blanket statement on like, oh, this is how people should live and this is what priorities should be. But I think maybe it's important to get to a point in your own life, you know, for someone like you or someone like me that you, you state what you want and you go in search of it and you don't feel ashamed or guilty or have to apologize for it because, well, I don't know, you have the opportunity. So like, why, why do you need to qualify that with what someone else has had to do for a living? Like, okay. Like it's, it's nice that you have the opportunity that you have. So go take it for all it's worth and, and don't feel, don't feel bad about it. Just go do it. And, um, and I think anyone who would mock you for that, I think that's coming from a place of envy or insecurity or, or something else, because you don't, you certainly don't come off as a person who's, um, ungrateful or judgmental of other people. I, I just think you, you have some serious aspirations for things you want to do. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah. Well, that's cool to say. Thank you. Um, for you, since we last spoke, I've seen it, what at least I'm perceiving as you writing a lot more. Um, that's even, you know, with the, with the release of, of the single, right. In, in quotes, air quotes, um, like the, the imagery is of, of a typewriter and it looks like you, you've been doing some writing. Are you, and you mentioned a book a little earlier, are you planning on releasing anything that's outside of, um, the music realm right now? Yeah. Um, it, it's go, still going to be a little while, but I, I have been writing a lot more since we last talked and I do sort of have some of my ideas for what I want to do for uh, a book. It's kind of like crystallized, I guess. Um, but it's still a ways in the future. I just, I have a lot more like work to put in on it. Um, but I feel like I'm tremendously closer than I was last time we talked. That's and good. that's been, you know, less than a year. So that's exciting. That's a good thing. Um, it's hard to not, it's hard to be patient and it's hard to not be hard on myself about it. But I want to, you know, I want to do something that's quality and in the end, like certain things you can't force, you can't just like work your ass off and put in the hours. And, you know, some things take a little bit of time. And I think what I'm trying to do is taking a little bit of time, but I am diligently working on it and it's coming together more and more. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Well, that's awesome. Um, you also relocated since we last talked. How's, um, how's Phoenix treating you? I don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the sun shines here all the time and it's, that's nice for me. I, I, I think that helps 
my my state of mind to some degree. Um, it's such a wildly different natural landscape and climate what I'm used to that it's just a, it's a shocking change. Um, and it's a shocking change in just about every aspect of my life. I like I, I got my own place here, which I, I've actually never lived alone before. Like I've never had an apartment of my own. Um, so I'm living alone properly, like for the first time in my life. And so that's pretty weird. And, um, I'm not connected socially like I was back home. So it's just been a, uh, it's been a big change. It's been kind of solitary. Um, but I think I've maybe made some strides personally and I've got a lot of work done and it's just, it's been interesting, but I, I, I don't know quite how I feel about it yet. I've been out here since, um, like pretty much the first of the year. So, uh, that's, uh, it's a six months have gone by very fast and I'm not, I don't feel settled yet. Did you go there for, for work? Yeah, I, uh, I got a job offer, um, to come out here and work and I kind of, you know, I, when I was listening to our previous conversation earlier today, it kind of hit me of what I was talking about and like where I was at at that point and then how much it had changed since then. And yeah, I got a job offer um, to come out here and work and for a lot of different reasons and no reason at all. I took it and I, I came out here. Um, I was pretty depressed, I guess, and having a lot of like just sort of crisis about like where my life was going and like why I was doing the things I was doing and like where things were leading and, um, just struggling a lot and kind of having, uh, having the most difficult time, you know, either I'd ever had or, or that I'd had in a long time. And so getting an offer just to like get away and go somewhere else for a while, um, sounded very attractive to me at the time. And, and so I just sort of like took it as a sign and took a chance to like step away and, um, try something different and regroup a little bit and go from there. So I'm, I'm still in the midst of that right now. So I, I don't know, like I can quite definitively say anything about how it's going, but I'm, I'm doing it. Thematically, the two songs that you put out sound to me as if they're talking about what you're saying right now. Is, is that a fair assessment of them? Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly I, you know, I put up a post just kind of talking about when I wrote the B side to that record, which is the song called Lonesome Valley Ammunitions. And I wrote that song, um, not long after I think we talked, um, and I wrote it the morning I woke up and read about the Las Vegas shooting. And for whatever reason, that one kind of affected me um, 
it just kind of affected me. I don't know. It just seemed so, it seemed so sinister and not that, not that any mass shooting is not, I mean, they're all sort of similar in that way where you just, you want to understand it, but you can't understand it. And it seems so dark and so indicative of some like other cultural things that are going on. And anyways, I, I sort of like read that news and it was just drinking coffee and was like very fucked up about it. And then I just sat down and wrote that and I wasn't really intending to like write about it, but I was definitely writing about it. And really what that, you know, what that boils down to is just like trying to trying to, identify what darkness looks like within all of us mm. and just everyone, ha everyone has a side of them that is like nihilistic or wants to, you know, pull the plug or take something beautiful and break it or, you know, insult someone or, you know, turn your life upside down or, you know, just do, do something unexpected and something that is not respectable. And, um, you know, I think in ways we're like, you know, we're like these really, we're animals, you know, but we're like this really complicated animal. And that's kind of like what that song's about. And definitely at the time, like I was feeling like I was in a really dark place and then seeing that event unfold and, um, sort of like reading about it and reading people's reactions to it. Um, some, something about all that combined made me write that in those words. So that's that one. And then the other one, uh, feels like end times, you know, it, it's funny because that, that song came from me seeing this graffiti that was written on a wall in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri a few years ago. And it was, this is years back granted. So you have to kind of rewind the clock, like a solid two years and think about really how different the world was two years ago. Like a lot has happened in two years and a lot of it doesn't seem like it's positive. And, um, but yeah, the graffiti said God wrath on rich hypocrites and it sounds like it's, I'm making it up, but I, I was there for uh, for a job with another friend of mine, and we went up to it and looked at it, and it legitimately looked like it was written in blood. <laughs> and uh, and we we snapped a picture of it, and you know, in retrospect, I wish I had a much better uh, photo of it. I like actually documented it even more than I did, but at the time, you know, it just was kind of a shocking thing to read on a wall. I mean, you read a lot of graffiti and a lot of stupid things that people write places, but that was just a shocking thing to read. And, and it really stuck in my mind. And, and so I wrote those or that little set of lyrics kind of based around that. Um, and not even with the intention of it being a song, it just sort of turned out that way. Um, and gosh, at this point, it almost sounds trite to, say, oh, it feels like this is the end of the world because it feels so much like the end of the world that, and, 
and I'm not a person to support that opinion because I think that people all throughout history have looked at things that are happening and felt like, oh, well, this is it. Like, this is the sign that, like, the end is near. And that's a, uh, that's the thing we do to make our life seem significant or more significant than it is. To say that, like, during our lifetime, this is all going to be over. And I think that's probably incorrect. Like, you know, it's probably going to be around for a long time. And I'm not saying things are going to get better or worse necessarily. But um, it, it was just a a visceral reaction to seeing that and then to also just kind of taking in how our, our country feels right now and, and just spitting it out in a way that was not, you know, that song is not a song that I wrote trying to convey a certain message or trying to write like a perfect lyric. It was just something that spit out of my brain after reading God wrath on rich hypocrites written on a wall in blood in Missouri. <laughs> and so it's it, it, interesting, uh, you know, kind of like years or like a year later or years later having those songs come out and having people read them and react to them in some way. It's called volume one. Does that mean that there's more self-written or is, does that mean that there's more to, to come soon? Yeah. Volume two is already recorded and will be out this year. Um, pretty, I'm pretty excited about volume two coming out. Um, I won't, I won't delve into it. You know, we can talk about it when it comes out or whatever, but, um, I'm, I'm more excited. I think about volume two than I, than I am about volume one. It's uh, it's two more songs. They'll be out this year. And then we have, recording session books uh, at the end of the year to to record probably volumes three and four. Awesome. So uh, it's definitely something we're committed to as a project and that we have very solid plans in place to, to keep rolling. I think that you, and we talked about this, I think a little bit when we stopped recording last time, but I think you should do something like, like this, like what we're doing right now. Um, cause like when I look at like some of your up, the upcoming tour, that's very soon, like you're touring with the Cro-Mags, um, you're playing shows in the fall with Gorilla Biscuits. Like you could, you have access to some people who have great stories and great content. I mean, you have that yourself, obviously. Um, it would be cool to see you do a podcast and to have some of these like legends of the genre on there with you. I know that there's like, there's turned, <laughs> yeah. there's turned out a punk, which is really big. Um, but you know he's not doing that from like a, a context of being on tour, like in the moment with that person. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do like listening to Turn Out a Punk. There's been some really great ones. Um, he's had some some great guests. I guess he he did get Bourdain, didn't he? He did one with him. Yeah, and he just re-released that. I listened to that this morning. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely something I'd like to do. You know, I, s certain things that I think execution trips me up on certain things. Like if I could, uh, call somebody up and say, Hey, I'm going to need like a microphone and like the recording software in place, um, at this time and place. And then like 
if I could just hit play, like I can take care of the rest of it, kind mm-hmm. of like the booking and lining it up and then actually doing it. Um, and not to say that it's not very simple. I just, when it comes to, sometimes I feel like I need like a, another person that can kind of like do some of the things that I'm not so uh, proficient at. So I can like put that aside and concentrate on like the aspect of it that is what I would actually be good at or want to do. Um, which is a pretty flimsy excuse for not doing something like that. Um, but just realistically, that's what keeps me from it is just, uh, okay, well shit, I don't know what software to use. And then, okay, well, uh, yeah, like how do I edit this? And, and then just those little technical aspects that I'm not completely comfortable with will literally stand in the way from me, like creating something that would be worthwhile. Yeah. And yeah, I just need to be uh, a little more hard on myself. I think (laughs) you've been, I don't know. You've been doing the band for a while. Um, But when I, when I look at something like, are you going to tour Europe with the Cro-Mags or you're playing with, you know, the, first couple of like touring type of shows with Gorilla Biscuits in a real long time and in states where they haven't been in a real long time. Um, do you still geek out over that at all? Like, is that still like really cool to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah, it's super exciting. I mean, you know, we have been talking about or talking to the guys in GB about coming to play Iowa since we toured with them in Europe two years ago. Um, I think may, I don't know if we touched on it during our last conversation, but Alex from GB is an Iowa native and, and currently lives in Iowa. And, and we're, we're friends, uh, sort of like outside of the context of hardcore or the bands we play in. And so we, have been bugging those guys since we kind of got to know them a little bit. Like, Hey, when are you guys going to come play like Alex's home in Iowa in our home? And they were always, you know, fairly open to the idea of it. Um, but you know, that's like a bunch of guys who live in New York and you're asking them to fly to fucking Iowa Mm -hmm. to do a, you know, do a show for less money than I guess maybe they would, I mean, they could just play a lot of other places that night that would be more enticing, right? In, in every regard, probably. Um, but I, I think they just need the proper motivation to, to do it. And we bugged them about it for quite a while until they were like, all right, let's go do it. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a huge honor. They're, again, like one of my favorite hardcore bands and one of the most unique bands in the genre to this day. Uh, hands down. And they are a unifying force among people. Like a lot of people with a lot of different outlooks and difference of opinions can go to a GB show and freak out together. Yeah. And it's just exciting to have them come play like where we're from and, and kind of know that we have like a major hand in making that happen. It feels like it, uh, you know, our set is going to be, great and it'll be fun but i i definitely feel like a certain pride about like 
and we present to you, you know, like <laughs> this band that um, that we we convinced to come here and play. <laughs> We're, uh, that's kind of a, a cool thing about it. Um, and so, yeah, that I mean, that's just really fucking exciting. And also, again, never lose sight of the fact that being a band who started in the year 2002 in Iowa that we get to play that we get to play alongside like a band that's so fundamental to this genre of music. It's just an honor that like we can even have something to do with it. You know, that we're like in that realm where we can like contact them to come play and that we can play on the bill like right before them. Uh, really same thing with Chromags, you know, I mean, they don't, we don't have the personal connection to them like we do GB, but again, age of quarrel, um, an extremely, extremely important record an extremely unique record that is always going to be there. It's always going to stand the test of time. There's never going to be anything like it. Um, bands can cop that style all they want, but there's just, there's nothing that sounds like that or that has that vibe to it. Just absolutely nothing. And I know that they're, uh, with their lineup being this dramatic, like contentious thing with who's doing what and name and all that. I'm uh, separating the, the artists from the art in that regard where I, I think, uh, to me, really Adrian Quarles, the record, and that really does represent something that's important and something that's very powerful. And I can kind of easily shove all the politics and BS aside and be really excited that we're going to do shows, um, with people who are involved in creating those songs and to just hear them live and like be in that, um, just to be in that world for a week is going to be uh, exciting. And it's a huge honor that they're like even willing to do shows with us, period, I think. Um, and so, wow. Yeah. Exciting times. Um, it's, it's funny. It's just, it's just funny to be a part of something on that level. Surprising. Yeah, I mean, it's funny maybe to say this, but um, in the same way that that record affected people, I mean, maybe you can point to like some sort of statistical evidence of like it, it lended to all these other bands being created, but um, in its own way, generationally, like your music has done that as well. You might not say that, but it totally has. I mean, it's, it's, um, I'm 31, right? So when, when some of these bands were playing, I was still too young. Like I was, you know, I was listening to no effects. And like, when I see the people who were around me, that's the kind of stuff they were listening to. So when they say like, oh yeah, I was, maybe they'll love, they love the Cro-Mags. Um, but it wasn't an influence on them until a little bit later in life, no matter what they want to say. Um, and I like it yeah. too, but, but well, that's, that's, certainly, that's certainly the case for me with that band. Like that was something that I 
got into and found an appreciation for, I mean, even after our band formed, you know, not that I hadn't heard it or wasn't aware of it, but like the impact of it didn't hit me until I was much older mm. and our, our story was already written in a lot of ways. So yeah, like, like you, not something I grew up with in terms of Chromags. Yeah. So, you know, my, the formative years of my adolescence, like I was listening to your band, um, like I think last time I asked you something to the effect of like where do you place yourself in like the the halls of hardcore history, um, but are are you cognizant of your impact? Yeah, I think the answer that I gave you last time um, is probably still pretty much how I feel. Um, I especially right now. I'm, I'm going to try as much as I can to not really look in the rear view too much. Um, and I'm looking at this series of records that we're, we're putting out as a way to, I don't know, I guess reestablish or challenge like our band's position in the greater scheme of things. Like I want to put out, a series of songs that are like very uncompromising and very much like belong to our, our band. Hmm. And if that, um, <clears throat> you know, if that um, hurts our place in, in history, then that's okay with me. And if it improves it, then that's obviously great or whatever. But um, it's, uh, I just think that the, the spirit of, this music is very much rooted in the present and very much rooted in, I, I know we all, and I'm saying that after I've like kind of waxed nostalgic about old New York hardcore bands and going and playing these shows with them. Um, but when it comes to my contribution or what I'm going to do, I like to be, I have to have that attitude of like, if we get on stage tonight and we suck, then we suck. And that's who we are. And if we put out a record that is like really um, contrived and weak and insincere, then like, shoot, that's who you are now. Like, and, and not that a single like misstep can like damn an entire like history or anything, but um, I just think it's more there's something valuable about staying like in the present and in the future with your own band and your own like words. It's kind of like, I, I've never wanted to be a nostalgic act. And I know that we are to some extent for a lot of people, it's very nostalgic. Um, you know, for someone like you who grew up with us, it's easy to have that nostalgic element of it. But I guess my challenge is like, while we're still doing this, that I'm going to try to, keep pushing forward and not dwell on anything that has to do with anything that came before. Like I want to honor that legacy, but the best way to honor that legacy is maybe just to like to put it on the shelf and decide I'm not really going to dust it off or examine it too much until I'm uh, way beyond doing this. Man, at least for me, you like you have been successful in that mission. I mean, 
yeah, there's a there's definitely a nostalgia thing for me. Um, but those like maybe maybe it was the timing, you know, with everything we've been talking about. But those two songs hit me right where I'm at right now at this point in my life. Like I'm you know getting older with you, um, as probably like a lot of people who are fans of the band are. Um, and that hit me like right where I'm at in my life. So it's also it's it's matured over the years, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yet another interesting aspect of getting older and, and creating things as you get older, you know, you <laughs> you want it to reflect where you're at, but, you know, also this this music is, is immediate. It is a three-minute punch in the gut. And so it's very interesting to, like, sort of balance, like, uh, being an adult or a feeling of being like having some sense of maturity, like whatever that means. You know, like I said, these, these two songs for me, they're pretty visceral in the sense that I wrote them, you know, I wrote the words for them. Like I just sat down and had this feeling and then I like wrote those words. And then I heard the, the riffs to those songs and kind of like recalled those things I wrote and then like laid it down. And that was that it was like, um, and then to do something on that much of like a gut level and then have it put under a microscope and compared to like sort of like 15 years of legacy is a very strange thing. Um, like I, I created those as if it was like the band's first two songs and no one gives a shit mm. at all. That, that, that's how I, you know, I was like, not that I didn't care about them, but it was just like, this is how I feel. And now I'm going to like hammer that into like onto a page and then into a microphone. And then we're going to shove that out into the world and see what people think about it. And so that's a, <laughs> it's an interesting thing, but I've had a lot of people hit me up and say, Hey, these felt really good to me right now. Or these, I'm glad that you said this right now, or I feel this way. So it seems, seems like it was met with a, a good reaction and it's a good time for those harsh, ugly words to be put out there. Yeah. Um, there's something that I was actually going to ask you last time, and I think that we, we've, we've touched on it like a whole bunch today. Um, but w we talked about, and, and I won't get you know too far into it, but we talked about growing up in Iowa and that's effect on you and music and all that. Um, you talked about end times. You've talked about blue-collar work, right? So we're talking about Trump's America, um, in which... Uh, the Democratic Party and, and like liberal-minded people, that was, you know, for a long time, that was the base. You had, uh, you know, Franklin Roosevelt and the Works Projects and all that stuff. Um, and at some point, that that base has, has switched over. And so you see, you know, Donald Trump at the, uh, like, union rallies when he's campaigning and kind of petitioning for votes. 
I would imagine that Iowa is a place that would have voted for him um, because it's a place that depends on blue collar work and industry and, and agriculture and things like that. Um, and, you know, you're sort of there juxtaposed against that because um, your music is very encompassing of all and, and speaking, you know, against, uh, at least metaphorically, like the, the evils of, of big industry and riches and things like that. I think, I think you know where I'm going. Um, but then you're also from a place and even the work that you're doing um, from a place of a blue collar worker. Um, do you have at least a, like a sympathetic understanding why folks maybe from Iowa and, and similar places would have voted for Trump? Um, do you yourself feel like you understand you know, why uh, people in similar industries to you and things like that would have voted for him? That was very long-winded and drawn out, but hopefully that, that got through to you. I'm like trying to choose my words carefully here. Do I understand? Yeah, I think I do understand why people voted for Trump. I think I understand why people um, drive around with uh, Confederate flags like flying out of the back of their trucks. Like, I think I understand why, um, you know, all of those, it's so, so difficult to talk about. Um, I don't feel like anti those people. I, I, I do dislike it. I do not feel like that, but I don't feel like, fuck you. Like we're at war and this is like a culture war and it's like me and like my people against like you and these people. I, I feel like a person that's caught in the middle more than I do a person who's like on an extreme side. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't mean that I'm sympathetic to racists. And it doesn't mean that I'm uh, condoning uh, like hatred or, or anything like that. Cause I'm, I'm certainly not. And I obviously I'm something I've been against forever. Um, but I think that, People in the United States, especially people who live in poverty and people who are um, struggling economically, I think that they lack, um, well, and you know what, all the way up through the middle classes and maybe the upper middle class and maybe the upper classes, I think that a lot of people are lacking dignity in their lives. And I think that's something that's very, very important is a feeling of, of dignity and that you are proud of sort of like your life, um, you know, your family, your contribution to the society we're a part of, that our country has a important place in this world or that like we are a positive, we're sort of like a positive force throughout the world that a lot of like the identity of our country, you know, has been based upon independence and like 
this like personal dignity and this feeling that like we're doing something that's right and that we're like against oppression. And I just think that we've reached this point in our country where our, our search for like dignity and to make sense of our lives has just become so fucking desperate because we're not, we're not getting what we need. We're not getting, um, we don't feel like, we don't feel like our leaders are like watching out for us. We don't feel like our country has our back. You know, we don't feel like our lives are significant and that we, you know, we just don't, we're not outside of, you know, kind of like food and shelter, you know, our, our needs aren't being met in an emotional way. And I think that that causes people to be extreme. Um, and that can be, that, that can be, um, manifest in a lot of different ways. It can make someone join the, the ALF or a, uh, a wing of like, you know, extreme leftist politics or, you know, become an anarchist or become involved in Antifa or, um, you know, be a part of like the many demonstrations that have been going on. Um, some other people are going to recoil and like sort of go the other way and like go towards like some sort of like imagined history um, where, and, and to me, like it, it's, it's like it's manifested in hate and it's manifested in intolerance and sort of this like ugly ignorance, but it has something to do with searching for dignity in your life. And that's something that I can relate to very much. I think that I'm looking for that in my own life. And I think that people who are involved in like radical politics, you know, on either end, you know, they're, they're disenfranchised and they're angry. Um, and I don't know, like, I, I don't know what the answer is. You know, I, I really don't. Um, I think that sort of like political policies aside, one of the most damaging things about what we're going through now is that like, you know, a president is symbolic in so many ways. It's not about, every law passed. It's not about every policy. It's not about every press conference. It's just about like, this is a symbol of our country. This is like the person that we put in the chair to look at and to, to listen to. And, you know, without talking about any policies, like what an ugly fucking person, like what an insecure, like loud mouth, not respectful, and doesn't, he's not, he's not conducive to people in our country feeling a sense of dignity. And I don't care whether you voted for him or not. He is, um, you know, he's a very insecure person who um, is obviously like lashing out, is obviously like sort of like scared and feels cornered and has like, a very delusional state of mind. And 
that's just my assessment of it. Someone could disagree with me on that, but I think it's damaging to have someone with that kind of state of mind be the symbolic leader of our country. And I think that it is negatively affecting everyone who lives in this country. And I don't care whether you're a staunch, you know, pro-life Republican, religious conservative, or whether you are throwing a brick through a window of a Starbucks, you know, I think it's damaging to our psyches to have someone like that being the symbolic head of our country. And I think it's, having major ramifications throughout our entire culture. Um, so I don't think I answered the question at all. Did I? No, but, <laughs> but that was a great riff. Um, and again, like I really, I know I'm, I'm like asking you these tough personal things. It's weird. Um, so thanks for, you know, giving that honesty and sincerity. Uh, one thing I want to do, uh, before we, we, we break out this time, um, is like, I grew up when, you know, I would look at records and, and see who, who the bands thanked and go check out those bands or, uh, you know, go through zines. I've got, I pulled this out of, off of my bookshelf. Um, but right after Midnight in America came out, I think it was your, your friend Max who put it out, but the, the zine that you guys put out and it, you know, explained some of the lyrics and had some of those like, uh, artistic references in there that we, that we were talking about. Um, and, and you're a guy whose uh, opinions on books and movies and things like that I greatly respect. So I'm wondering, uh, maybe even from like a contemporary sense, what are some things that you're jazzed about right now and excited about, whether it's, you know, life in general or, or books or films or, or bands and things like that? Hmm. Um, so for some reason, this is always like a difficult question for me. What am I jazzed about? Um, I'm not jazzed about anything. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's not true. Um, gosh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think that culturally it's hard for me to say, like, I don't know, like what <laughs> I, I think that, I think that we started the conversation talking about, you know, people's sort of like newfound openness of talking about sort of, I don't know, once you start talking about like depression or suicide or mental health, it really opens a floodgate of conversation about a lot of different things. And I think that people are, In, in time, in difficult times or times of like relative crisis, like people do get kind of, they dispense with the bullshit a little bit and get real and are willing to talk about some things that maybe in like really easy times that seem unnecessary to talk about. Um, so, you know, I'll say culturally, like people seem like they're a little bit fed up with like repression. Mm and they want to they want to explore what it means to be alive and like how we should spend our time and and what the alternatives are you know like how are other people living and like what what could that mean for us um so i i don't know it it seems like it seems like kind of a dark time culturally but it also seems like a time that 
the sort of like injustice and the pressures are forcing people to open up a little bit and get kind of real about where we're at. And and not only in our sense of our country or, you know, politically around the world, but also in our own lives. Um, I think the, the hope is in terms of the arts that that's going to have this significant ramification that like kind of trickles down to, um, the bands we listen to and the books we read and, you know, the, the movies that we go watch and stuff like that. I think that takes some time to happen. I think it's starting to happen. Um, definitely for us, like as a band, like these first four songs, you know, the other ones aren't written yet, but these first four songs, these two we just put out and the next two that are coming out, um, it is in a weird way, like, like how I feel about our world right now and, and, and like four sort of like passages and I'm not, I'm not trying to use your question as a way to like, um, <laughs> self promote or something, but I think that, I think that a lot of the knee jerk, like recoil reactions of like, some of the things that are going on right now are maybe coming to a little bit of a close and people are going to start making positive progress again. Um, And some of that is going to be in reaction to like the things we've gone through in the last few years. And um, I'm, I'm right now in a place where I'm trying to focus on my um, writing and also my work with the band and put my put my voice forth uh, partially as something for me and partially as something for some other people. Like, hey, I need to get this off my chest right now so it, it makes sense that some other people might want to read it right now. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of just like looking inward a lot now and trying to like, trust my own instincts about things. And I think a lot of people are in that own place, that same place. Like I'm trying to get away from like being entertained by things right now and just get in touch with like what's going on uh, inside of myself and then figure out a way to communicate that to the world. And I, I think that the next few years are going to be very, very interesting for um, our culture as a whole. And I'm, I'm just like excited. I'm excited to be a part of the, to like be in the fray and be kind of like battling it out. I don't keep up on politics in a traditional way. Um, I'm back in. So, well, let me say this. First of all, we've been going for like an hour and a half, but, um, sorry that the Wi-Fi wasn't great this time. Um, for, for, for part three, um, I'm going to be nomadic after this. So it would be really cool one day to to sit down and, and have a couple of beers and, and, and do this again, you know, in another eight months and, and see where we're uh, at in our lives at that point. That would be a, that would be a real treat for me. Yeah, it'd be cool to do one in person um, so we don't have to deal with this, uh, <laughs> this um, 
connection problems. I'm going. But, uh, yeah, no, I'd love, I'd love to do another one, do another one in person. Uh, you know, I don't like, I, I just enjoy the conversational aspect of it. Um, so the fact that it's uh, recorded and released is kind of an added bonus to it. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'll be keeping up with your uh, your travel, man. I'm excited for you. I think it's really cool. Where are you, where are you going first? I'm starting in, um, where am I going? The Philippines. And I know that I need to be in Indonesia to see a friend on July. So I'm leaving July 1st. I know I need to see her on July 24th. And then after that, it's just as long as I can sustain it, maybe work in some places um, and just like, like do this. Like I, I, I emailed this uh, Filipino punk band and, you know, they're a female fronted kind of like kind of just like youth crew sounding stuff like nothing that's breaking the mold but what the hell man that's a filipino female fronted band like that would be freaking awesome to check yeah, that's out amazing. um how cool is that i'm, I'm good are you uh, are you what, you what are your feelings right now are you scared about leaving yeah it's very strange to i'm not a guy with stuff but it's still strange to be like in my apartment and, and say like oh yeah like I have plates. <laughs> Do, am I throwing out my plates? Like everything I'm going to own is going to be in a bag on my back. If someone steals that, <laughs> there goes literally my whole life. And that's somewhat liberating, but also real strange. Um, yeah. I, I've said something that now, honestly, since Friday, I, I've rescinded. But like, you know, I think my mom is a bit more nervous about this than, than my dad is. And, you know, things could happen to you. What, what if something happens? And, and my, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a hero here, but my response to them was always like, well then if something happens and if I were to pass, if I were to die, right? Like I, I went out exactly how I wanted to live my life. I, I died living the exact life I want to live. Um, but I actually have thought about that since Friday and been like, oh, yeah, but, like, that's a real selfish way to look at things. Like, yes, this is my life, but, like, I can't be upset that people who love me love me and don't want to see me die. <laughs> like, um, again, we're being... Yeah, we're, I, I, I do, I do, even though it may sound a little bit corny, I do think that some of the... Um, security that we kind of strive for and make so important in our lives is a little bit bullshit though. I mean, like <laughs> you're, you live in New, you live in Brooklyn. I mean, you could just die, you know, any day, you know, there's just so many ways to die. Like, <laughs> but you going out and traveling, I mean, yeah, there's certain risks, I guess that you're not exposing yourself to at home, but like, we should all be scared that it could be like uh, that our life could be taken away because it's super fragile and it's not guaranteed. And I just, I don't think that's a reason to not do what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you're, I'm not preaching to you. you. You agree with that, which is why you're doing it. But man, I mean, like you're not, you're not safe just because you have an apartment in, in a job. Right. People exactly. with apartments and jobs die every single day. Right. And it's just not like, I, I almost think that's not like my, I know my mom would feel the same way, but I, I don't think that that's a, I don't think that's a reason not to do it mm -hmm. at all. 
No, and yeah, you're, you know? you're totally right. That's that's basically what I say. Like, you know, do you, like, do you know the neighborhood I work in? Like, do you? Do, it's quite different than it was in the '90s, but it was called the crack capital of the '90s for a reason. Like, um, yeah, yeah. So I'm a long-winded way of saying, like, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous about some things, but I'm also just, I'm like kind of, kind of proud of myself, like to if this fails, at least I, I tried, like I did the thing that I've dreamed about forever. Uh, and I, I took a shot at it and maybe it'll, you know, bear fruit or yeah. it'll fall on my face. And at least I did it. Yeah. Um, now how do you, um, how do you practically spend your time on, on such a journey? Like what, like, what do you, what do you do with your days? I know that's like a weird question. It's always going to be different, right? But like, you're you're going from a schedule that's probably pretty like a lot of your time right now is spoken for, and then when you get out there, it's going to be no longer spoken for. So what what it what is the things that are going to like fill that kind of time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm I'm really not a a party guy. You know, I have my indulgences and I like to indulge, but I, I don't like to be in a huge setting where like we're just partying. And in some of these countries I go to, they have their like backpacker district with 20 year olds who are, are out of the country for the first time. And the thing to do is get drunk and be wild and loud. And it's not really my style uh, or my speed. Yeah. Um, you know, in the Philippines, there's hikes I want to go on. Um, there's all these food places I want to try what's always worked out best for me is to know certain things I want to do, certain things I want to eat, but then just let things unfold everywhere. I've gone, yeah. I've, I've met people that live there that are like, Oh no, this is the thing you need to check out or this or this or this. And I go off of what they say. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean the, the things that you would think, or maybe not you, but the things that one would think about someone cutting out of their life on a trip like this, I've cut out a long time ago. Um, you know, that again, I don't not have a TV because, you know, that's super cool and, and hippie of me. I just, I just don't give a shit. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I, I like stranger things on Netflix, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, Hey, right after work, I'm going to come home and wa watch the TV. I like to move. I, I quite literally like running. So, and, and I love running in foreign cities because, for me, I don't know why my mo my most creative is when like the the thirty minutes that I'm running like there's some some kind of chemical popping in my brain. But when you're in another country and you go for a run, it's like oh cool I I, I passed this really cool record shop or or this bar or uh, this sign that says there's a hike that way or, or something. So you, it's a cool way to get to see a city and to and to move and not be sitting you know in the hotel room or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that sounds amazing. Yeah, I think that. No, I think it's great. I mean, I think that it'll be, um, I think that it'll be a very, well, it's going to be an interesting, uh, time in your life. Like it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting. There's not, it's not going to be dull. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's probably true. Um, if, if, if you'll indulge me, if you'll humor me for a second, I'm going to, I'm going to riff here. I've been thinking about like these, these thoughts and, and kind of ending on this note. So if you'll, I have a tendency to kind of go off the rails and get, and get lost in the, 
in the point that I was making, if you, if you couldn't tell. Um, but I'm going to riff for a second. Um, so first of all, uh, I want to thank you again. Um, we talked about Bourdain in the beginning. He's someone, uh, everyone I've wanted to have and to have a conversation with on this podcast, I've been able to make it happen. Uh, he was sort of the, you know, the, the pinnacle of what I would have thought of as success with this. I, I have like four pages mm -hmm. of questions that I had for him. Um, similar to like the, the first time we talked, I, I went through all these interviews and I was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to ask Jeff the typical stuff that, you know, he's already, he already has in like a YouTube interview or something like that. So I put a lot of time into it. Um, and, 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 a, and a lot of care and it, it has paid off in such an insane way that I, I talked to you in the beginning about um, it doesn't quite feel like me. <laughs> I feel like somebody watching me. Um, you know, I, I think you mentioned last time about um, listening to the episode with the Vietnam vet Frank. You know, I, every time I see him now, he talks about it. Uh, I'm in the kitchen, I'm in a kitchen in Bushwick with a Laotian American who's one of like two people in the city cooking food from Laos and we're drinking Lao rice whiskey, like joking around, like sharing stories about our lives. Um, I'm, it, I'm in a situation where I'm quite comfortable talking with you and it's, it's, a, it's insane to me that you would even be interested in my life. And again, like someone like Scott or I know, you know, incendiary, my friend, Brian, uh, did I say my friend, Scott, Scott Vogel, uh, mm -hmm. I'm not friends with Scott, but my friend, Brian from incendiary and, and, and he comes on, I'm doing these insane, amazing things because I took a shot and was like, Hey, I want to, you know, try recording. Um, so maybe there's not a point, but I'm just, this has been a really strange, beautiful thing for my life, just having these conversations with people. Um, and so I want to thank you because you're a, a, you're a part of that. You were one of those initially like top people. I was like, man, I, this is like, again, like I told you this, but like the band for me for so many years. Um, and it's, it's beautiful and amazing. And I'm appreciative of like you giving me the time and allowing me to use you as a pincushion and ask you all this like <laughs> deep personal shit that we're then going to, put out into the world. So, um, yeah, I'm just really happy that I get to do this, man. And, 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 and thank you for doing it a second time. Yeah, man. I mean, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, intention such a powerful thing. I think you got, you go into something with good intentions and you're, um, kind of like, your heart's in the right place and you're willing to do the work and make the sacrifices. Uh, insane things happen. You know, we've been sort of like, I think, you know, you get conditioned a little bit to be like, ah, well, I don't fucking matter. And this isn't, you know, like things aren't going to turn out the way I want them to. And, <laughs> and a lot of people just buy that a little too much. And I think that the nice thing about art and music and, you know, your interviews that you do with people and your travels and this band and everything is that it's a way not only to get ourselves out of that, but a way to get other people out of that way of thinking where it's like, Hey, no, this could be my life. You know, there's no, 
if, if you have those intentions and you're willing to make the sacrifices and your heart's in the right place, then and why, why is it not possible for you? Why is it not possible for me to be, you know, that person that people go to for, you know, a certain type of experience or a certain type of wisdom or a certain, you know, I, I just think it's like, it's, it's awesome when people, it's awesome when people just take the practical steps to make it happen. Cause that's where it, that's where it comes from. That's where it originates. You know, you can't, you can't dream all these things into being and you can't admire other people who do them to the point where you're going to be one of those people. At some point you have to make practical, difficult decisions and set your intentions and follow them. And I think that, you know, you've been doing that and now you're about to make the big leap or, you know, one of the big leaps, let's say on take, taking that another step further. So it's cool, man. It's, uh, it's exciting. And, um, you know, likewise, the place I'm in now, like I could obviously kick back and be happy with like what I've done or whatever. But um, going back to the original or one of the original things we were talking about, you know, like you might never get the feeling of uh, contentment and satisfaction that you want. But I think living a life of adventure and sort of like striving to make something significant. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, I think that, I think you're doing a cool thing and I think that, um, I don't think you'll regret it. And I hope that, uh, I hope that your travels go well. And next time let's just do it in person. That way we don't have the, like you're a, you're a traveling man. Like there's no reason you can't come find me wherever I'm at. Right. Yeah. No, totally, man. That, that would, like I said, that would be a, a real treat for me. I'd love to do that. And I, I'm always uh, looking for excuses to go to New York. It's always a fun, fun town to kick around. So, awesome. 